0: I'm Meg Dahl, your Unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. It is episode 34 today, and I'm so happy to have you here. I'm also really happy to be back in Canada, but I want to share a little bit about my getaway because it was one of those getaways that I will never forget. So... I spent the past weekend in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which I have never been to New Mexico before. And I've been to a lot of different states. I've been to more states than many of my friends who live in the states have been to. So New Mexico was a new one for me. I will admit I had... No knowledge about New Mexico or Santa Fe prior to going, but honestly, I think it might be my favorite place in the states that I visited. I don't know, I just really loved the artsy spiritual culture there, and it reminded me of my second home, which is London, Ontario. It just like had I don't know, vibes that really made me feel at home and I absolutely loved it. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're from Santa Fe, I am slightly envious of you in a good way. (laughs) So anyways, I just absolutely loved it. I was in Santa Fe for my spiritual coaching retreat So I am, I have been taking a coaching course for practitioners and this coaching course has been led by Jessica Flanagan and we've had her on the podcast before. She also mentioned this coaching program, but I am taking this coaching program just because a large way in how I support my clients is through loving themselves. Majority of my clients come to me so I can support them in cultivating self-love. When I first came across Jessica Flanagan's work probably about four years ago, I told myself if she ever offered a mentorship program of any type, I would 100% take it Because I had never come across another person that was so focused on showing others how to heal through loving themselves. So I just felt this big connection with Jessica and she launched this program for practitioners. So I began this program in the beginning of September And we had an in-person meetup for the weekend in Santa Fe. And it was just so transformational. It was honestly one of the best weekends of my life. So I just got back from that. (laughs) I am literally recording this on Tuesday. And these episodes always come out on Wednesday. I had a huge travel day to get back home, but it was so worth it traveling all the way there and all the way back. I love traveling. I was exhausted by the time I got home. But like I said, it was just it was an absolutely life changing weekend. So, yeah, I am kind of riding on a high from all of that and getting into My routine again, just feeling back to normal a little again, I don't know, just kind of feeling wiped out this week, and I'm sure that I will feel like that for a couple of days, but I'm just leaning into it, just listening to my body, giving myself a lot of compassion, a lot of love, and I'm excited that you are joining me today to listen to this episode with my good friend, Dana so, Dana is a nutrition coach as well, and we've been longtime friends. And actually, as you will find out, I was one of the very first people. That Dana came to when she began to open up about her struggles with an eating disorder. So that was a very, very significant turning point in her life. And we talk about that in today's episode. But what I really loved about this conversation that I had with Dana is that she talks a lot about the work I do in my practice, a lot of the mindset stuff, a lot of the overcoming these false beliefs that we have about ourselves. And she's talking about these important things because this is key for overcoming eating disorders or any health issue, honestly. All of us are holding on to these false beliefs at some point throughout our lives, we've decided something about ourselves and Dana and I talk about this today. So I'm really excited for you to listen in. If you have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders, you're going to absolutely love this episode. So let's get to it. Hey Dana, welcome to the show. I am so pumped to actually finally have you on my show. I don't know why it's taken us this long. Oh my gosh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, we are longtime friends. We've met in real life before, which is kind of rare seeing as how so many of my friends I've met on Instagram or through blogging and they're in the States and I'm here in Canada, meaning here. So anyways, welcome to the show. I'm so pumped to have you on and I just love getting to sit down with like actual friends and have a chat about being unbreakable. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah. So for everyone listening who might not be super familiar with who you are, do you want to give us a little bit of an intro? So my name is
1: Dana Montes. Um, I live in the States <laughs> on the East Coast um, and I'm a nutritionist and entrepreneur. I also have my own podcast. Um, I'm also a Whole30 coach and um, I am a swim coach and I'm a CrossFit coach. So I have kind of, <laughs> Meg knows this, I've been wearing a lot of hats for a really long time, um, but I'm slowly starting to only concentrate on nutrition. So that's been good.
0: <laughs> ah, so how does that feel? That bit of a transition from like having all of these things that you were once focusing on and now really focusing on your nutrition biz?
1: Yeah, it's been nice because I I think when Megan and I first became friends, I was actually transitioning out of working in politics in DC, um, which was a lot and very stressful and kind of a toxic environment, um, if we're being honest also, which I mean, if you know anything about US politics, like you could probably guess that, right? But so even when I was still working full-time in politics, I decided I wanted to go back to school for nutrition. And so then after I quit my full-time job and was really sick, and that was the reason that I had to quit, um, I was kind of in this process of recovery from being really sick and also having adrenal stuff going on, having all sorts of hormonal issues and also recovering from an eating disorder. And it was just, it was a lot, um, And even when I was in this process of recovery and like trying to find my own voice and where I wanted to fit into this like nutrition community, because I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was still taking all these different part-time jobs. Like I was a swim coach and that's been like a big part of my life because I swam and was an athlete my whole life growing up. Um, And I was still In school while I was doing that. And then I was working in a clinic while I was in school. And then after school, I was doing an internship and getting my licensure and everything. So it feels like a really nice release, actually, to just be, to have one main thing on my plate that I can concentrate on most of the time. Because even like this spring, after I was licensed and passed my board exam and everything, I would see my clients and work on my blog and podcasts and stuff during the day. And then when everyone else would like come home or be done with work, I would then go to my second job to go swim coach. And it was just exhausting. And I knew it wasn't sustainable. And so of course, like being a practitioner, you know, you have to do all these self-care practices and everything in order to maintain that. But it's always been really hard for me to find that balance because I do love every single thing that I'm doing. And it's really hard for me to not put 100% into everything. So I think that was a big adjustment period learning that I couldn't put a hundred percent into everything. And that's when I finally realized, okay, I need to pull back on a lot of these things that I'm doing, because if I want to be in a hundred percent on my business and a hundred percent in with my clients, I can't be devoting a bunch of my energy and time and resources for like four or five hours every day, like swim coaching, even though I love the kids, you know, so it's been nice. Um, it hasn't really started to sink in yet because I was just telling Meg um, before we started recording, but I'm in the middle of like a two-week move right now. So my old lease was up and then I have like two weeks in between when my new lease doesn't start yet in my new place. So I had to move back in with my parents for two weeks and I just feel very discombobulated. So... (laughs) Hopefully, that'll clear up soon.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. And it sounds like you're focusing on the right things. And I'm just like so excited to see what all happens for you because I know when we focus on like 10 different things, it's really hard to give the one thing that we really do want to put our 100% into, right? Like that's so difficult to actually do. So I'm excited to see what happens for you. But can we like rewind a little bit? I know you mentioned being sick several years ago, and then you also brought up like some adrenal stuff, hormone stuff, and even an eating disorder. So would you mind going into a little bit more detail for us?
1: Yeah, so – um growing up, like I never ate very well. I, (laughs) I was joking around with my parents that like, I never really ate a vegetable until college, unless you count like corn and carrots with like hidden Valley ranch dressing. Right. I was not a healthy kid. Um, but it wasn't until college that I started having a lot of like stomach issues and not even necessarily digestive issues yet, which would come later. But, um, I just, when we were training for swimming and also lifting, like I would notice that I was just nauseous all the time and it felt like I had like a huge lump in my throat. And it wasn't like I was having trouble breathing or anything, but it was just, it was so weird. And every time that I would eat, I would feel nauseous. And then I would have like these weird stomach cramps and pains and stuff. And I couldn't figure out what it was. So, you know, the traditional route I went was I went to the regular general practitioners and Western medicine doctors and even in gastroenterologists. And they basically just told me, Oh, you have some inflammation going on. So we're going to put you on anti-acids and an anti-inflammatory and all this stuff, which ended up making things worse in the long run. Um, years later, I found out that I had celiac. So that was part of the big reason that I was having these digestive issues. And this is why later down the line, I discovered I wanted to go into nutrition because no one had ever asked me what I was eating, even though I was having digestive issues and I was nauseous all the time. You would think that you know, if the symptoms are in your GI tract, that you would ask someone what they're eating three, four times a day, because it's probably influencing that, right? So that was part of the reason why I wanted to go into nutrition. And then I kind of had this underlying sense of when I was in school that I didn't only want to help people with learning to heal through food from like GI conditions and autoimmune stuff and food allergies. Like I did have this background of having an eating disorder and having a horrible relationship with food and horrible relationship with my body, which I knew I wanted to do something to help people with, but I really struggled with opening up about it until probably a couple months ago. Um, and i was really trying to think about and i do this with my clients is like where where did this come from right so i finally figured out that part of it was from when i was growing up I was always in a house where everyone was really athletic and everyone was, you know, we didn't really talk about weight that much or anything because, like, my brother and I were super active. And I mean, I was chubbier when I was a kid. Like, I was never very overweight. But when you're a kid, like, you can tell, right? You mean, it's not nearly as bad as it is seeing everyone on social media these days, right? Where you're hyper conscious of everything. But when I was younger, I would remember that my mom was stepping on the scale every morning. She would always talk negatively about herself. Be like, oh my God, my clothes don't fit. Like I feel so fat. And she would say like the word fat all the time. And then I vividly remember once when I was in high school that we were on vacation and we were going on a helicopter ride and we had to get on the scale. And I went like before my mom or something and she was like, oh my God, you weigh that much. And it was like a traumatizing event. And I was just like, what do you mean and then you know after that we went to a nutritionist and she actually got me eating better because like I said I wasn't eating any vegetables I actually wasn't eating enough for my training volume in high school um so I actually ended up eating more and feeling a lot better but and then that was a big event and then there was this other one that really messed me up um for down the line which I only realized recently was I had this boyfriend in high school and in college who you know, was super nice. I loved him. He was fine. <laughs> but I vividly remember at one point in high school, he would say something like, you would be so much prettier if you were a little bit skinnier. Right. Which is just so so messed up and like i knew at the time that it was not a very nice thing to say but i didn't know how much it would really affect me because then later those are the kinds of things that get caught up in your brain like i would be liked better if i was skinnier i will be loved more if i was skinnier i am only worth it if i am skinnier right so then that in college turned into a full-blown eating disorder where i was at first counting every single thing i was eating and you know making sure i was only eating a thousand calories a Day and also working out, you know, doing like whatever, an hour or two of cardio plus 30 minutes of abs, like every single day. And then it turned into binge eating and then it turned into purging. And it was like, it just wouldn't stop. And it was a very unhealthy relationship fueled by all of these comments that other people had made about my body and then insecurities that I was having about my body and just thinking that I wasn't worthy if I wasn't skinnier. And then the horrible thing is when you think about it, like your body, when you have disordered eating or an eating disorder, your body fluctuates so much. And at all of those different weights that you experience, no matter if it's your lightest weight or if it's your heaviest weight, you are never happy with your body. You're never satisfied. And so I finally started realizing that and was like, this is stupid. Like no matter when I was, you know, this weight or 10 pounds heavier or five pounds lighter, like I was never happy. Like I can't keep doing this. Um, and Meg was actually the first person that I opened up about this to a couple of years ago. And even then, like, it was so hard for me to just open up about all of this stuff because when you're someone who wants to be a practitioner or you want to be in a position to help other people, you don't not that you don't want to show weakness, but you want to show them that you're strong in order to show them that you can help them. And so I viewed this as something that I didn't necessarily want to show with people or share with people because they would think it was a sign of weakness and that I wouldn't be able to be a good practitioner for them if I had this in my past. And it was at that point, it was still something that I was still dealing with. You know, I mean, everyone has these demons, like no one feels a hundred percent perfect about their body all the time, but you know, we all come a very, very long way. And it's been many years since I had those consistent thoughts about myself. And now I even help other people that have a history of eating disorders, like work through this. But It has been a very long journey to get here, to say the least.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I am so proud of you for opening up. I remember when you and I connected years ago, and I'm just so grateful that, you know, I was one of the very first people you had like this, such an important conversation with, right? So that's huge. But, You know, I think this, your story is going to resonate with so many people and what really prompted you to open up about your eating disorder and reach out to someone like myself or maybe some other friends? So I, I don't really remember
1: exactly when I decided that I wanted to open up about it. But when you're carrying around something that's as heavy as that, and I had never shared it with anyone, like my family didn't know, like my friends probably had some indication that there was something going on, right? But stuff like that, especially when you're in college, is so, it's so common. And this is a horrible thing to say, but like, I don't think anyone said anything to me in college because there was this other girl who I was friends with who had an eating disorder that was so much worse than mine. So that in comparison, it didn't look like I had lost a ton of weight or I was purging or anything like that because she, I mean, I never got checked into a treatment facility or anything like that, but she did. And so in comparison, it looked so much worse that I think people just weren't paying as much attention to me. Um, But I think when you share, you had been sharing your story and I had been following along and then also Maddie Moon had been sharing hers and I was following along with that. And it just felt like, I had this like huge weight on my chest because I had never shared it with anyone. And if you have such a big secret like that, it needs to come out at some point, or it's just going to like eat away at your soul, is what it felt like. And so I felt that I was in a really safe space to share it with you because you had gone through this before and you knew exactly what it was like. And Meg was actually the one that encouraged me, you know, very gently. She basically said like, you know, when you feel this is right, I think this can help a lot of people. And I think it'll be really cathartic for you to share with whoever you choose to share it with. And so I carried that around for a while. And I, for the next couple of years, I would share, you know, general parts of my story. I would say I had disordered eating and I would say I had a messed up relationship with food in my body, but I never said I had an eating disorder until probably this time last year. Yeah, maybe like a year ago. And just when I was finally able to share the whole story, I think I was being interviewed on someone's podcast. Actually, no, it wasn't even a year ago yet. It was after I had started my own podcast in December at some point. Um, One of our friends, Christina Rice, was um, interviewing me. And I just beforehand, I was like, I have no idea what she's going to ask me about, but I just felt again in a very safe space. And I was like, I just need to tell the whole story from start to finish from when I realized that I was having a really bad influence in my own house from hearing my mom talk negatively about herself all the time, which not that she still does to this day. It's gotten a lot better after years and years of me talking to her about this, but It was a really, like probably 20 years of me hearing that, right? And that does a number on kids. And so a lot of the work that I do now that I've been able to do that is that people have, since I've opened up, People have now been able to open up to me about their stories and now I'm able to help them, but only because I was able to be vulnerable, which is something that I have always struggled with pretty much my whole life because, um, because I, I have trouble letting people in because I think they're going to hurt me if they realize, you know, and not, I guess this big secret that I had in my past or whatever it is, you know, it's just, I have a really hard time and not, not so much females. It's mostly men. <laughs> like I have a hard time trusting people or sharing a lot with people. And I put these walls up and I'm, this is something that I'm still working on today, you know, and this is probably why it took me so long to share this story, even after I was recovered and fine for, you know, a couple of years. And I hadn't Purged or binged in years, but it was just like this demon that I had. And I didn't feel that I could really share it with the public or like out in the open. And even when, even now, when I hear, you know, a lot of my friends will listen to a couple of the podcast episodes where I've talked about my whole history. And some of my closest friends will say, like, I had no idea that this was going on. And I still get uncomfortable um, when they tell me that because it's like they've now heard me speak for an hour about how I used to have an eating disorder and treat myself like absolute crap. And they never knew it. And I feel bad because I know they feel bad because they didn't know what was going on, but they only didn't know because I refused to let them in. So it's this crazy, vicious cycle. And again, it's still something that I continue to work on.
0: Yeah. And I'm so proud of you. And I I have so much to say, honestly. First of all, when you first shared your story from start to finish, how did that feel? Um. I definitely had what Brene
1: Brown calls a vulnerability hangover. Yeah. Um, So at first, it felt really, really good. I was like, oh my God, like finally I can share this. And actually, I think part of the reason I was able to do it was because I was sharing it on someone else's podcast and it wasn't entirely all of my audience. Um, But then at the same time, I was like, oh my God, I just introduced myself to however many thousand people and like shared my entire story. And I was like, oh my God, did I do the right thing? Like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like people are going to hear this and they're going to know the whole thing. And then eventually when the episode came out and people started reaching out to me and saying, I connected with you on so many levels about this. I mean, you realize whether you're opening up about an eating disorder, or I actually just did a podcast with my friend Kate a couple of weeks ago about her struggles with um, general anxiety disorder. And she'd never opened up about it to anyone either. And she said she experienced the same thing. It's like vulnerability, hangover, terror, and then realizing, okay, it's going to be fine. Then people start reaching out to you and saying, thank you for sharing your story. You know, I never would have known. I really want to work with you because I've also struggled with this kind of stuff. And there's another point here, where, which is to say like, we never share these things out of a place of trying to gain something, Mm-mm. right? I I don't think that anyone would ever share that they had an eating disorder in order to like get more clients, you know? Right. Um, but I think maybe there are some other situations where people try and play the vulnerability card, like, oh, this is something that I've gone through just in order to I don't want to say to make personal gain, but you know what I mean? Like, this is never something that I would have done just because I wanted to enhance my business. This is something that, I mean, I definitely did it for selfish reasons at first because I was like, I need to get these demons like off my chest, right? And it felt so much better. And then that allowed me to connect with so many people that were struggling with the same things. And that's when I realized after that, oh my gosh, Like this is something that I would love to work with people on because when you have that unique experience of going through the exact same thing that your clients have gone through, it connects you with them on such a deeper level and it makes it so much easier and so much more impactful to make real change for these people because you really know what they've gone through.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree anymore except for the fact that I wouldn't say it's selfish at all. I think all of us reach like a point where we've been like stuffing something inside of us, whether it is like an eating disorder that only we know about and no one on the outside knows, like not our family or our friends or just like anything, even like you said, your friend with the anxiety disorder, right? So no matter what it is, if we are, like, stuffing something inside of us and holding it in, I think all of us are going to come to a point where we just kind of, like, can't hold it in anymore. And then, Hopefully, we all enter a space where we do feel safe. And for you, it was that day chatting with Christina. And I mean, you and I had a really great conversation years ago. But yeah, I think we all come to a point where we just have to share our story. And I think that's so important. And there's a huge lesson in all of this. Because just going back to what you said, Dana, about, you know, feeling as though you have to be like all put together as a practitioner to be seen as like someone that clients want to work with. Right. But I think the huge lesson here is people want to work with you because they feel that connection to you. Right. And I know for me, my favorite clients to work with are are my clients that struggle with eating disorders or disordered relationships with food and their body, any mental health issue. And I like that just gives me more of a reason to like share and share and share my story. And just like thinking back, and I would love to hear this from you because I'm not sure what health professionals like you worked with over the time that you were recovering and, you know, gaining your health back. But every single time that I worked with, you know, a therapist or a dietitian or something, if I knew that they specialized in eating disorder recovery or if I knew that was like part of their history, I was so much more drawn to them. Right. And obviously now you and I are seeing that in our lives, too. Yeah. So I actually didn't ever get to work
1: with someone who just specialized in eating disorders, but I have I actually still work with her, um, a naturopath who basically became not only my doctor, but also my nutritionist and basically like my therapist as well. Um, and I have been able to share everything with her, which has been great because I mean, she was the person, the first person, probably one of the only people that knows like every single thing that I've gone through. Right. And it's also really interesting because she, um, she worked with my mom as well and other people in my family. So she, I mean, she probably knows more than I do, right? Like she knows multiple sides of the story, um, which is probably the best thing you can have as a practitioner because then you get the information from multiple points of view and you can see how it's affecting the different people. Um, But yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I don't think I ever worked with someone who specialized in eating disorders because at first I didn't admit that it was an eating disorder and I wasn't seeking that out. Um, And then by the time that I was ready to talk about it, I was already so far removed from that situation and had kind of healed myself. But also I think a big part of that was going through school, like going through two different nutrition programs and just learning that you know, I couldn't treat my body this way anymore. And then we had all of these different um, clinical nutrition classes in school, and then just working with our own clients when we were working in the clinic at school. And it just like, these were the kinds of people that were drawn to me. And the more that I would open up about it, the more clients that were similar to me were the ones that I would attract, Um, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because like, as you were saying, if there is someone who's a practitioner who you see who has a really similar background to you and you can see that they've made it out on the other side, you're definitely going to be much more drawn to work with that person because not only do they have clinical experience working with other people and getting them to work through it, but they also have personal experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. So I have a couple questions. Um, Let's go back to how your mom spoke about fat growing up and that comment she made to you when you stepped on the scale and also your ex-boyfriend who made that let's be clear not current boyfriend no (laughs) um (laughs) who made that comment to you like you said those things stay with you. And whether you realize it or not, because it might have take I mean that both of those memories are pretty traumatizing for sure. But, you know, the talk with like you said, your mom constantly just used the word fat and things like that. Like that's not really traumatizing, but it stays with you. It lingers all throughout your life. And it obviously like influences things that happen later on in your teens and your 20s and things like that. So once you came to this point of realizing that, okay, you did have an eating disorder and you did need to start recovering and overcome this demon, what did you do or how did you address those traumatizing events? Because obviously, you can't just push them aside. Like they have to be dealt with. So what did you do?
1: Yeah. So I started doing a lot of things, um, like reading, reading books and listening to podcasts by like Heather Waxman, who is both of our friends who wrote body piece. And, um, intuitive eating and all of these things. And just, I was really seeking out other people's experiences of how to kind of overcome these demons and to talk more positively um, about your own body and making sure that there's also no verbiage in your head of thinking or speaking about other people in a negative way. Um, And then there's also... So the the hardest part was kind of either cutting ties with people that weren't serving me in my new vision of myself anymore. Um, and then cu- having conversations with people that I wanted to keep in my life, um, like obviously my mom, I'm not going to cut her out of my life, um, and my close group, groups of friends that you know, I'm not going to tolerate you. It's not like they were ever saying anything about me, but I'm not going to tolerate you talking shit about yourself either. And you shouldn't talk that way about yourself. So it took me years to have basically to plant the seeds for those conversations with my friends and especially my family. Right. Um, And my mom, I mean, I would first start by leading by example, basically. Like I would never, I never stepped on the scale and this is like my mid later twenties, right? I would never step on the scale in front of her. I would never say I feel fat in this outfit or like, you know, whatever. I always focused on positive things like, Oh, I feel really strong today or, you know, whatever, something like that. And a big part of my recovery has also been like weightlifting and CrossFit. And we used to talk about this too, is I started to focus much more on the weight on the barbell rather than the weight on my body. So there was a period of probably two years where I did not step on a scale at all, or at least, you know, I went to the doctor, but I would like turn backwards or I just wouldn't look at it or I tell them not to um, tell me because I realized I needed to become detached from that number and basically love my body at any size that it was. And that was really hard because in the process of recovery, I probably gained for from my lowest weight to my highest weight, 50 pounds. Um, and it was really hard. Um, the thing that made it easier was I was not weighing myself. So I didn't have those demons in the back of my head. Because when you have a history of an eating disorder, like you do want to rely on the scale or some people are obsessed with their body fat percentage from a DEXA scan or whatever it is. And so looking at pictures of my old self, I had to stop doing, right? Because I was so much thinner and now I can say sickly looking, right? But when I was in the process of recovery, I refused to weigh myself. I stopped looking at old pictures of myself. I stopped talking negatively about myself. I did a lot of positive affirmations. I focused more on what my body was capable of rather than the way that it looked or the shape that it was or whatever. And- I finally had to have those hard conversations with my mom. Oh, sorry, you can cut this out. The phone's it's ringing. Cool. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I finally did, I you know, my mom, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I was like, "Mom, you need to think about the way that you the words that you say impact other people around you." So, if you feel that you are, you know, particularly heavy, or if you feel like fat or anything, first of all, you should never say that about yourself, no matter what you do, because you're just making yourself feel crappy. And you're promoting this like dichotomous relationship with your body. Like I had a good day or like I had a bad day. And then it's the same thing when I work with clients of putting these labels on foods, you know, these are good foods and these are bad foods. How about foods that make you feel great and foods that maybe don't make you feel so great, you know, changing the verbiage there. But I really had to focus in on, you know, you can do whatever you want with your words and your body, but You have to think about, because you also have a responsibility, like as a mother, as a sister, as you know, all of this stuff, the way that your words that you say about yourself are impacting other people. Because as soon as you say, oh, I feel fat today, everyone else in the room, even if they are skinnier than you, if they are more muscular than you, if they are more overweight than you, whatever it is, they are all automatically looking at themselves and being like, oh my God. If she thinks that, like, what must I think? And I had friends like this. Like I had friends who, you know, were really tall and really skinny and they would just be like, oh my God, I feel so fat today. And I would be like, girl, like if you're saying that, I know you're not meaning this to be projecting on other people, but if you say that, and then there's like a normal sized human, like me and other people in the room, they're all automatically thinking they are fat, even though you're talking about yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was definitely one of the hardest conversations that I've had to have with anyone ever. Um, and it didn't stop just after one time, you know, I mean, these are things that you have to, say and reinforce over and over and over again again by leading by example and then you know there's always this joke in my family that like my mom's side have like really big butts and we've kind of changed it into um like really strong butts right instead of it being like a negative thing which like is kind of funny because you know we all played volleyball we're all shorter we're much more of a like gymnastics build to give people like a visual rather than like a very tall slim volleyball player build right so like makes sense like we're all very strong and very good at squats and everything so you could assume like more developed glutes and stuff but it's not funny when someone's like, Oh my God, like you might split your pants because your ass is so big. You know, like that's not funny, even though it's meant to be a joke. And even if it is meant to be a joke, if someone is remotely the smallest bit self-conscious that can spiral into something like what happened to me, you know? So just having those really hard conversations and like obviously I didn't talk to my ex-boyfriend at all about it because he's been out of my life for so long. Right. He also ended up turning into, um, like a physique or whatever bodybuilder or something. So like you can tell I wasn't the right person because he was so obsessed with his own aesthetics and everything that clearly no matter what I did, it wasn't going to be good enough for him. So I'm like glad to be shot of him, but you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And how did your mom respond? Because I think a lot of our listeners today, they are going to have to have like those conversations with some really important people in their lives. And I mean, having that conversation with your mom is huge. So how did it go? Like you told us kind of how you approached her, but how did it end up? Um. So. It ended up well now, but I can say that,
1: you know, a couple of years later, it probably was a pretty traumatizing conversation for her. And I don't know how she internalized it. Right. Because we never had the, well, how does this conversation make you feel conversation? Right. Um, But I mean, it's really hard to have those conversations because you need to have that conversation for your sake and for their sake. But at the same time, you don't want to put all of the blame for what happened to you on that person. So Mm -hmm. it's a very delicate, carefully crafted situation, right? Because I didn't want her to think that she and what she said when I was a kid was the reason that I developed an eating disorder. right? Right. And I even kept that verbiage like out of the entire conversation. Um, But I think she definitely internalized it partially that way that, I mean, she could tell that I had been struggling with my weight and body image and stuff for years, you know, since I was a little kid, like all the way through my twenties. I mean, my, your family is always the one that sees like the weight fluctuations all the time. Right. So, I mean, we just had to have the conversation where, you know, if someone has lost weight, you don't be like, Oh my God, like you look so good. Did you lose weight or like if someone gains weight, it's like, oh my God, what happened? Like, did you let yourself go? You know? So none of that verbiage is in our house anymore or my parents' house or, and like my brother was always very good about it and everything. Um, But it's interesting to see because, so my mom has a twin sister and they actually live really close to my parents. And I have two cousins um, that are both girls. And you can tell that there is a huge difference in kind of the atmosphere and the vibe of the house when we're all home. Cause like my side of the family, we never talk about any of that stuff um, in like a negative way or anything. And like, I'm obviously not focused on weight loss or anything. Like my mom is, but not as like an everyday occurrence thing. Um, And this is still something that she struggles with, you know? And I think most moms struggle this with where it's like, They weigh themselves before they go on vacation. Then they weigh themselves when they come back from vacation. They're like, oh my God, I gained five pounds. Like I need to lose it all. But now when my mom comes back, she's like, well, I kind of know what happened. Like I don't really drink that much normally. And I did some on vacation and I'm eating things that I, you know, didn't, don't normally eat. So if I just go back to eating normally, like I'll be fine. Like, wow, it's taken me 20 years to get you here. Whereas on the other side of things with my aunt and her daughters, they are so focused on weight loss all the time. And, you know, chronically under eating and over exercising and there's the good and bad foods lists. And I did good today and I did bad today. And I mean, I can tell that it's worked for me and my mom just because there's such a difference between her and even her twin sister and her daughters. But Yeah,
0: it was not easy at all. (laughs) No. Well, I am so proud of you for having that conversation with your mom because I think when it comes to someone that close to us, it's very difficult to have those difficult conversations. But I think just what you and I are talking about today is so important because not only do we need to have those difficult conversations to help us move through our struggles. But it's also, you know, having those difficult conversations to help that person be a better person. And so that, you know, no one else around them is negatively affected, like you said, too. That's huge. So I have another question. You started studying nutrition kind of around the same time that you had an eating disorder, right? So, I mean, a lot of people think that studying nutrition can be like a negative thing or triggering thing, but it almost seemed to help you um, with your recovery, correct? Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: I think that it really helped because – the nutrition program that I started with was the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and one of the things that they are very good about teaching is I think you learn over 100 or 150 different dietary theories is what they call them. And they also talk about bioindividuality of how, you know, one no one diet is best for everyone and how you no matter who you're working with and no matter what food plan works best for them, they need to be nourishing their body with whole real foods. And then there was this whole concept of what they call primary foods, which is in order to be healthy, you need to not only work on your nutrition and your sleep and your exercise, but also your relationships, your social life, your stress, your all of these things. And that was the first time that I ever really looked at health as the whole picture and not just your body size and your weight and the food that you were eating. So that helped a lot. And then when I did my master's program, it was much more focused on, at the beginning, like the organic chemistry and anatomy and physiology of nutrition and all of that. So it was very sciencey. But then when you get into the more clinical skills things, it helped having this background of being very empathetic and learning that people have different kinds of struggles because if you don't, meet someone where they are, you're not going to be able to help them. Um, And I think a big problem for a lot of dietitians and nutritionists is that, especially when you first get out of school, you kind of have a couple of different templates that you know will work for people, but they only work for certain people. So for example, if you get someone that comes to you and you you know that doing a Whole30 works great for people, or you know that doing paleo or vegan or whatever it is, um, or even keto works really well for people. But if you try to use that same template for everyone, it's not going to work because it's just a blueprint. And so I think the beauty in where I was coming from was realizing that there are people with all different kinds of issues and no matter what nutrition program you give them, sometimes no matter what it is, sometimes it's just not going to work because either they're not ready for it or if they have a history of an eating disorder, you need to do a lot of the mental and emotional work before you can make any nutrition challenges with or nutrition changes with them. Um, but yeah, I mean being in school was also very therapeutic for me because I got to meet people who had a similar background and then we were able to talk about it. And I was able to start to open up about it because you know, even if there wasn't someone who I was interviewing for a health history who had an eating disorder, like they probably had anxiety or depression or, you know, something else that was going on that was nutritionally related. Um, and because they were so strong in opening up about their stories, I felt much more confident in being able to open up about mine. And I think, when I became more confident when I was in school, I was also becoming more confident about sharing my own story through my blog and through eventually a podcast that I started last year and on Instagram and just opening up to people. And the more I opened up and the more feedback I got and the more I was learning in school about how you need to nourish your body with whole real foods in order to function well, I learned that I can actually help people by sharing my story instead of just hiding behind this practitioner lens, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I do know some people for whom if they have a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder going through a nutrition program can be very triggering for them. Um, and that might be because if you're not learning about a really wide range of of therapeutic diets and how they can help people in certain situations. If the, if you're in a program that's basically pressing a certain thing, say you're in a dietetics program and they're like, you need to count calories and you need to do these macros and everything like that. And none of the programs I did were anything like that. Um, so I think that's why that it wasn't triggering at all. And if there was anything triggering, it was interesting because I would kind of back up and think, well, why is this triggering for me? Like this is clearly something that I need to work on. Um, and then those were the skills that I developed and realized the things that I was struggling with in school are the things that really helped me when I now work with clients. So if I say something or if we're working through something and it's really triggering for them, we kind of go into it and it's like, okay, this is something that we really need to work on and dig into it. Like, say you want to lose weight, like, why do you want to lose weight? And don't tell me like, you just want to feel better in your clothes or like, you just want to be a little bit leaner or you want to be stronger at CrossFit or whatever it is. Why, what is behind this? You know, and it's funny because I've said this a couple of times on my podcast, but, and I don't completely agree with this statement, but Rob Wolf, I was listening to him get interviewed on a podcast. And he said, you don't have a messed up relationship with food, Who told you that they didn't love you? And then that made you think. I need to be more worthy or I need to be more loved by being skinnier or something like that, which is exactly the experience that I had, right? And I do believe that people can have a messed up relationship with food and a messed up relationship with their bodies because I definitely did. But then the work is, where did that come from? Because until you figure out where that came from, what it is, and how you can work through it, you're never going to achieve true food and body freedom.
0: Oh my gosh, I cannot agree more. I know we've had this conversation on my podcast too a lot, but you know, it's your issues with food are never really about food, right? And like you shared with us, yours went way back to your childhood and when you had that boyfriend. So, yeah, honestly, Dana, thank you so much for opening up about your eating disorder and just like sharing your knowledge with us because this is just such a necessary conversation and is going to help so many people and I could just like keep talking to you forever as we said it's been such a long time since we caught up but if people want to follow you where can they find you hun?
1: So my blog and pretty much everywhere is Real Food with Dana, all spelled out. Um, So that's my blog. You can find my nutrition services there. Um, On Instagram, I'm Real Food with Dana and Facebook. And then my
0: podcast is Real Talk with Dana. Awesome, babe. And then the one question I ask all of my guests is, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? To be
1: unbreakable means being strong enough to open up about your struggles with other people so that they can connect with you on a whole different level.
0: I love that. Haven't gotten that answer yet. I love that (laughs) question because they're all different, but that was definitely um, a very different one. So thank you so much, Dana. And you'll be on again for sure. Thanks. Yay. Can't wait. Thanks for having me.